I'm going to try to use this tiny little stand. This may be a really dumb idea, but uh, you know how it is. So there's some interesting things on the bulletin board here. First of all, Jim is gone. We didn't put that on the back of the bulletin, but that's the truth. Jim is uh, gone just for this weekend. He'll be back this week. Then Jenny and I leave after the second service today and are gone for three weeks. I know. How crazy is that, right? We've never done that in our adult life, so uh, thank you for uh, being positive about that instead of the gasp. <gasps> there, what? But uh, it's kind of a culmination of the school process. It's my gift to her to spend some time uh, and give her attention. So that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think it's all ladies uh, clapping right there. Um, and it's actually an interesting thing. I heard her describe the situation last night. She said, so we'll probably try to kill each other the first week, then we'll have a week to make up, and then we can relax the third week. So that's probably how it's going to go, but it'll be great. So other people will be doing things. It won't be me the next three weeks. That'll be great. Um, let's see. There is, just so you remember, after the second service, if you can come back, you know, go to Sunshine Cafe or go down and get a coffee or something. Come back after the second service. And we're going to have a processing time. John Flanders is going to lead us in that uh, to process what we're going to talk about in the sermon this morning. We've been doing this for a couple of weeks. The first week we had about 30 people, 35 people. Last week we had 50 that stayed, and we barely had that many in the room. It was, you know, the spring break week. And so this week we're hopeful there will be a bunch of us. We have a lunch served over there. And then you can sit and process together the entire sermon and the series together. Uh, kids sing is going on on Mother's Day, so it, just so you're aware of that, to know for uh, something to look forward to for Mother's Day. And there's a couple other announcements about things that are going on, and that'll help you. So today, we're going to continue in this series. The, the basic concept is this. If Jesus started a revolution which is probably really true, then we have to ask ourselves, what would be, what should be our response to that revolution? What did Jesus expect from us? And I think that's a reasonable question. So in the first week, Jim grabbed a hold of the command to go and make disciples. Now, when you think about it, it's really interesting that Jesus actually said, go make some more of what I've been doing, because that was not a great, successful experiment to that point. But that's what he said. Let's go do, let's go find others that will be a part of this process and this story and the journey, and then be about the business of doing this together in community, doing discipleship, following Jesus in community. And of course, what if you think about the, the what happened even in just the last week of his life, it's unbelievable what he accomplished in that entire process. So that was the first command that we had and we talked about. Then last week we talked about, so what does that specifically look like? Who is my neighbor? How do we go and love my neighbor? How do we be a part of the story? And all of that. That was the process last week. Today, we're going to take kind of the negative side of that. Almost the opposite of loving my neighbor is a passage that is fascinating that talks about judging my neighbor. The opposite of loving myself is probably judging myself. Now, when I thought about this, I thought there's got to be something funny related to judges and lawyers, so I've, there's got to be something I can do. And so, you know how many lawyer jokes there are? 
There's, you would think there's a million of them. There's actually only about two or three. All the rest of them are actually true stories. No, I'm only, I'm only kidding. Sorry, John, wherever John is, uh, because John is our, he's our attorney and, and our legal defense, which is why he's qualified to talk about this, interestingly, after the second service. But, you know, we, could, we can laugh about that because it's kind of funny. The truth is the whole issue of judgment and the whole concept of um, moving into these things that are legal and judging. I mean, you know, what does our culture actually think about that concept right now? We're going to look at that a little bit together today. We uh, hopefully have the right idea, but Jim said this last week, and I really want to kind of roll out of last week's love your neighbor into this week's judge not, lest you be judged, by asking this question that Jim asked last week. I wrote it down because I thought, man, that is a provocative question. And it was actually almost more of a statement that begs a question. He said this, having the right answers does not prove love for God and for man. In fact, those answers may not be enough. I mean, that, I don't know for you, opens this huge bucket of worms, but it did for me. I thought life was about finding the right answers to the right questions. And Jim said, I'm not sure that having the right answers to the questions has much, if anything, to do with love. It does, but how does, that, how does it rate? Is it an automatic connection between having the right answers to the right questions? Is that an automatic bridge to love? See, when you get there, you kind of can say, yeah, I'm not sure that that's the automatic outcome that happens from this. It's not, not necessarily what's going to go on. So we're going to look at uh, this idea of judging. Uh, Caleb, if you'd put up those first two verses. We're going to look at some things. I want you to read these together with me out loud. One is from Matthew, one's from John. Read these out loud, then we'll talk about it. Here we go. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do not judge by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Anybody see any kind of a disconnect between those two? You see, one says, seems to say, it excludes the concept of judging. The other says, well, the problem is not that you judge, the problem is that you don't judge correctly. Or is that what Jesus was actually trying to say? Both of those, by the way, are from the mouth of Jesus, as quoted. So what is it? Is it that we judge? Is it that we should not judge at all? Now, what do what all the mantras say in our culture right now that they're saying? I mean, there's t-shirts, right? Don't judge me, right? It's literally like that's your worst scenario is for you from the over there to judge me over here. It's almost like it's our worst thing. So is the problem here that we haven't learned how to be blind to each other? Is that the, is that the real issue? Is the issue we haven't learned the process of how to just ignore the differences between us? That is a big part of what our culture is trying to say to us right now. They're trying to remove the distinctions. 
There's no difference between gender. There's no difference between race. There's no difference between idealisms. There's no difference between anything. That's what our culture is trying to say to us right now. I'm going to tell you right now that if you read the entire Bible, it can't possibly mean what Jesus is saying here is you stop after do not judge. It can't possibly be don't do any discerning differentiation between things. And the reason it can't possibly be that is because of the whole record of the Bible. You know how many laws are in the Old Testament? Some of you know that number. What is it? 613 in the Old Testament that are clearly articulated. That is a judgment call. Something is right, something is wrong. Something is best, something is not best. Why would the Bible have given us all those judgments if the concept of God, if Jesus' primary message was, don't judge anything? That can't possibly be What's going on? Not only that, there's a whole genre in the Old Testament and actually the book of James in the New Testament that is about wisdom. And these are all, just think of the book of Proverbs. It is statement after statement after statement after statement. Think of the book of Ecclesiastes. The whole thing is, I have watched, I have experienced, I have been around, I have journeyed, and I have compared and contrasted, and here's what I have learned. And wisdom is a highly valued thing, and it requires a sense of judging, discerning. It requires that. Why would the Bible have given us a bunch of wisdom if it didn't want us to judge at all? That can't possibly be what this is about. In fact, if we don't use any distinctions, we don't learn at all. There is no learning without drawing distinctions between things, without classifying and clarifying. Uh, this morning I got up early enough, if you were up in the 530 range and were outside, the moon, it wasn't quite full, but the moon was hanging where I was over here, uh, right in this parking lot here. The moon was right by Buffalo. Okay, it wasn't actually by Buffalo, I get that. But it was behind it, close enough to it, right? Moon, you looked, how big did it look? It looks huge, right? Now, if I drive halfway across the lake and look across there and move to where my vision of the moon is that the moon is tracked further over and it's kind of in between the peaks, the moon looks smaller. Did the moon change size? Come on. So what is the thing that your brain does? Your brain says... Why does the moon look different when it's closer to Buffalo? There's a comparison point. There's a contrast. And that's how we've learned everything we know in science. Everything. We've done a comparison. We've said, well, why does that work? Why does that not work? What does this sound like Dr. Phil a little bit? How's that working for you? you know, what, what is going on with that? What would make this go by? In fact, if you think about life, the most amazing thing is not its commonalities. The fact that DNA is the, the basic building block. The most amazing thing is its diversity. All kinds of variations. So one thing we can be sure we can get rid of, if you want to, before we actually move into this, and we ask ourselves, we're not going to read all of this, but 
by the way, in the rest of this passage that we're going to read, Jesus talks about hypocrites, which implies judgment. He talks metaphorically and refers to people as dogs, pigs, and wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a reference point that's a comparison. He talks about evil people. He talks about false prophets. And he talks about good fruit versus bad fruit hanging in the trees. This is not possibly about we can get rid of the cultural idea that what we're supposed to do is just remove all the standards and say, feel free to do whatever you want, and I'll feel free to do whatever I want as long as we're both happy. That can't possibly be what Jesus was teaching. Okay? The second thing that we can do or ask this is this. Was it that Jesus then is instead trying to say, we need to figure out a way to find out the rigid, black and white, hard and fast, unquestionable line that is the line of sin. Over here you're okay, over here you're not okay. Because that's another very common... I cannot tell you how many times through the course of my ministry people have come to me and said, is this sin? Is that sin? Is that over there sin? If you're still asking that question, you're wasting your time. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're wasting your time asking that question. In fact, to answer that question, you'd have to be omniscient. You'd have to be omnipotent. You'd have to be omnipresent. You'd have to know everything that is in the equation. You'd have to know all of the possibilities that could possibly happen. You'd have to know how in that circumstance things absolutely best. And you'd have to understand all of the motives in your own heart, much less in the other guy's heart. You can't possibly rigidly want to know. And I want to tell you that the entire Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at here in a minute, is Jesus' reaction to an entire religious culture that was just trying to draw lines everywhere. They're all trying to draw lines. Where's the distinction? Is it okay that I walk that far or not okay that that? Do, can I work this much? Can I do a circumcision on the Sabbath? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I, where is the line? Where is the line? Where is the line? Always trying to ask what the line was. That can't possibly be what Jesus was trying to get at. Is that you've got to figure out how to rigidly determine what's accurate and what's right and wrong. That can't possibly be it. We can get rid of the idea that judgmentalism is what we're about. Holding each other to standards that are unquestionable, undeniable, and in every circumstance we know exactly that's what you should or should not be doing, or even that's what I should or should not be doing. Now, at this point, if I walked away, I just have undone everything. Okay, I recognize that. But what we need to do is dispel those two major cultural misunderstandings. One being that Jesus is saying, don't judge, just accept everything. And the other being, Jesus is saying, you've got to figure everything out down to the letter and the line or else you're in trouble. That's not what's going on. So hopefully built on that, we can go pick up a couple of other things. Let's look at, in the major context of this Matthew 7, it's actually within what we consider the Sermon on the Mount. Now, don't freak out with me here, but the Sermon on the Mount is probably a collection of several that Jesus taught along the course of his ministry. It kind of reads like it was one event. That's unlikely. 
But even if it was one event that it all came out, we can pick up some thematic things that go all the way through this. There are three big movements within the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to take your Bibles, there's some right there in the pew in front of you. Or maybe you have it electronically. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at a couple of things that are just in the context. I think I'm going to have to put these glasses back on. I hate wearing these because when I put them on, I can't see you. All I can see is what's right in front of me. But Matthew uh, chapter 5, right at the beginning of the message that Matthew puts together, which is Jesus offering, Matthew uses the word heaven more than anybody, and it's almost always attached to kingdom of heaven. And the, the whole entire message of what Matthew is saying is Jesus came to offer us a kingdom that is God's kingdom, the, he- the kingdom of heaven. And there's a way that that looks. And so he, at the very front end, tells this story. John told the story of Nicodemus. And Jesus, that was the first sermon John used. Matthew uses this sermon. Chapter 5 starts with what? The Beatitudes, right? Now, are the Beatitudes things that you can aspire to be? Can you aspire to be persecuted? Should you aspire to that? Do you aspire to be meek or humble? Can you actually reach for humility? Do you aspire to be low in heart and mind? And, and uh, what, is the, what is the way that he puts it? Mourning. Do you aspire to mourning? The interesting thing is this probably is more a matter of this is what it looks like when you see this happening. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God alone. This is what it looks like. Can you aspire to, for that to be true in your life? Absolutely. Can you go through a seven-step program to be a mourner? No. Okay? So then what he proceeds in chapter 5, he talks about salt and light. You can just look at the headlines in here or on your Bible if you have an NIV. You're salty. You're, you're light in the world. Then he says this right out of the gate. I did not come to tear down the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And in fact, if you try to lower the standard of the law and the prophets, you're missing the point. Then he talks about, in fact, the next, the rest of chapter 5 is bad news. It is when it comes to murder, when it comes to adultery, when it comes to uh, divorce, when it comes to keeping oaths, when it comes to everything else. You've heard it said, right? These are the antithesis sentences that Jesus uses. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and every time he says a but I say to you, it's harder than what they thought was true. It's bad news. It's not good news. He says, oh, you know what? Divorce is no big deal. It's, it's all right. I get it. It's all right. It's the opposite of what Jesus is saying in chapter 5. He keeps raising the bar. Then in chapter 6, these are actually good breakdowns of how this all works, this information. He's really saying there's a, there's a way, and this is the, an economy of God and how this economy works. This is kingdom economy. Before is kingdom character. Now this is kingdom economy. This is how you go about giving to others without wrecking it. This is how you should pray. This is what you should ask and expect. This is how you fast. 
Your treasures are from God. You shouldn't worry about things. Trust God with the great equation. Rob talked about that when he was singing this morning. Trust God with the entire equation. That's the economy. And then chapter 7 is an interesting breakpoint because now he starts into some warnings, some watchouts. This is really kingdom approaches, I guess, is probably a better way to put it. Don't judge the judging thing and the hypocrisy. Now when you ask and seek and knock, go about it this way, but expect God to give you what you actually need. This is the hard way of living. It's narrow. There are false prophets. Look out. There are true disciples, but not everybody who says they're a disciple is going to be one. And there is a wise way to be about living. And so Jesus actually, in the whole context of this sermon, to just pluck that verse out is not helpful. Let's read. We're going to read together here. I'll read it out loud and you can follow along because we'll start in 7 and verse 1 and we're going to read along. Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'll give you a little more insight on those words in that setup. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the great big log in your own eye? Very common Greek process of using hyperbole. Nobody can have a log in their eye. Jesus knew that. How can you say to your brother, let me take that little speck out of your eye when there's a huge log in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the big log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This helps us understand a little bit more about the judgment, doesn't it? Keep going there, Caleb. What's next? Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Those are not talking about animals. Those are talking about people. If you do, they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. And then he explains it a little bit further. Which one of you, you humans, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Will you give him bad gifts? Obviously not. Go on to the next one there, Caleb. If you then, though you're evil... Know how to get good, good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? Does that mean give you what you want to make you happy? Not at all. It means give you the good gift that you need. So here's the summary of this whole concept that he's getting at in chapter 7. Do to others what you would have them do to you. This actually is the framework of the entire law and the prophets, which is what he introduced back a couple of chapters ago in chapter 5 when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He now concludes that sentence here. Enter through the narrow gate. It's, uh, the, the wide gate is broad and it leads to destruction, to destruction and most people go there. The narrow road is the one to life, and only a few find it. You see what the context of that is? The context is this is the hard way to do this. It's the hard way, but it's the legit way. No question about it. Now, having read that, let's go back and look at verses. Go back a couple of screens there, Caleb, just to verse 1 and 2. I think it's 2, 1 more there. Yeah, very good. Now, I can't give you the whole thing. I'm not going to waste all your time with the Greek, but I want you to know this about Greek, 
first of all, it uses endings. It's an inflected language. Hebrew is the same, just like Spanish. There's endings on, this, on the end of, the, of a root, and the endings give you the case and the gender and the number and the, all of those kind of things, and kind of some understanding of how the verb works, especially in a verb. So Jesus, when he says this sentence, don't judge, you'll be judged, in the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to use. This is totally a wordplay in Greek. If you could see it, it's, a, it's an interesting way that he says it. So, don't, it's a plural, so that you all won't be judged. In Greek, me krinite hina me kritheta. The root, the root is the same. Krinos, we're going to talk about that in just a second. For by the judgment that you all will be judged, you'll be measured by that way. In the judgment, it says, enhogar krimatai krinite krithesistha. He's using these roots. Five times he uses the root across about ten words. Bam, 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 bam. Judgment is a very common word, by the way, in the New Testament, all through the Septuagint. It's used 250 times in the New Testament. Jesus grabs it and uses that word five times. Bam, bam, bam. We're talking about judgment, and then he introduces the next word that's only used about 25 times, and that's the word measurement. And the root of that is metro. Sound familiar? So he says, in the, in the, by the measurement you measure, you'll be measured. Kai en ho metro metreta metrethesetai, who men. So the, the, it's got all of these metro, metro, metro. And what Jesus is trying to say is, judge, 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 judge. You, if you're going to do that, you've got to connect the metric to it. And if you're going to use a metric, God is going to use that metric when he judges you. That's the message of this passage. The passage is not saying, don't judge anything. The passage is also not saying, judge everything. The passage is instead saying, just remember, God is the ultimate judge and if you judge using a metric, God will use that metric when he judges you. That's the message. And Jesus even used words that are so sing-songy in their language, it would be so memorable you could, you could memorize it in a heartbeat. These words are, are so interesting. We get krima is the noun form of krinos. We get criminal from that. It also, another form is crisis. Does that sound familiar? In, in Greek, the crisis was the legal process of going through and having an entire trial and coming up with a judgment at the end. Another word is kritikos. Does that sound familiar? To be critical of something, to, to judge it, to ask, to measure it out. And a word criterion. Does that sound familiar? So all of these come from this same root, which is the idea of separating things out, making distinctions, using a standard. So Jesus is saying, of course that's going to go on. God does that, but never, ever, ever, ever forget that God will use the same criterion for you. When it comes to the other word for uh, meter, metro, that's where we get the word meter, metric, and all those kind of things, a, a measurement. 
Now, let's, if you have a chance right there, turn over to James chapter 2. I'm going to give you a couple of insights here. Because James says some things about measuring. James chapter 2, and then I'm going to kind of poke around in the book of James. But I, listen here for in this passage, which is kind of broken up. Listen for how much of the Sermon on the Mount you hear in here. Brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ shouldn't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, stand over there or sit on the floor like you can't sit in these nice chairs then haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Doesn't that sound a lot like what Jesus was getting at? Go on to the next one there, Caleb. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting that James calls that a royal law. This is a baseline thing that Jesus was getting at in this passage. You do it right, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is breaking of the, uh, guilty of the whole thing. Then he talks about murder and adultery and some of the same things Jesus talked about. Let's go to the next slide. Speak and act as those who are giving are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And then look at how, how he lists out the same kind of things that are very much in the, the fruits in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. As he's speaking about the same thing that Jesus had spoken about, James says, look, the measure is the same. The measure for you and for, uh, from, for others and the measure from God for you is the same. Bottom line is this. He's saying, Jesus is saying, don't try to take out the tension that's in the law. Don't try to reduce the standard to make it simpler. Don't try to bring everything down to the dumbest level. But while you recognize that nobody can keep the law because he told us how hard the law was. Extend grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love rather than demanding justice in every single circumstance. Now, we stop right there and say, what, what, uh, what can we know that is true about judging? What we know for sure is we often use, I'm not going to get into and read some of the other passages, but if you want extra credit, read 2 Corinthians 10, where Paul talks about measuring and judging ourselves by each other rather than judging our, ourselves by the standard, which is Christ. What is the process that you use? What is the process? I've been asking myself this all week. What is the process that my mind goes through when I consider my own things. Typically, I consider myself pretty trustworthy, pretty smart, pretty, I can figure this out. Pretty much, I know what I'm doing. I've read the whole Bible more than once. I probably know exactly what it says by now, and I probably can easily delineate what God's will is in this circumstance. There's an arrogance that often comes into my own 
evaluation of my own life. Does that sound familiar to you? Probably not. That's probably just a me thing. But is it possible that those of us who have been Christians for a very long time get pretty smug in our position? Is that possible? That, of course, is what Jesus is railing on with the Pharisees the whole time. You guys are trying to, you've made a burden that's impossible for anybody to pick up. The other option that the rabbis did was they were always looking for ways to have an argument to give everybody an exit strategy out. Oh, you can't keep that. It's not that big of a deal. That law is too hard to keep. God knows you're a human. Because that's the other thing that we do. What do you do? Do you do anything like I do when you see someone else? Do you start making judgments? Of course you do. Should you try to teach yourself to never make a judgment, make a delineation, make a discernment, decide what you see is going on? That's not what this is about. It is realize that the measure that you use that you now pass judgment and the final decision upon that person, that's the one that God's going to use with you. How does that adjust our, adjust, our judgment of others? Let me ask you a couple of questions. These are the kind of things we might get into some of this at, in the processing at the very end of the second service. Do we need to use the current sensibilities that we have as a standard that, that we ask questions by? Or, and should we import those back on people all through all of humanity? Or where does that stop? Can we ask the same questions of those during the Civil War or the World, Second World War that we ask of each other now? Our moralities and ethics, are they timeless? Is the true way to know whether something is right or wrong based on moral or like the, the majority rules? So should we do a poll on Twitter to always figure out whether I'm actually out of bounds when I'm judging this or not? How can a righteous person avoid being perceived as being holier than or more self-important than someone who's not righteous? Because there is a distinction between righteous and unrighteous. But how does the righteous person not come across as a holy Joe? Is it loving to approve someone else's self-destructive behaviors? Is that loving? When are we most likely to hold a standard up that we judge others by um, that we would also never want to be held up to ourselves? When is it most likely that that's going to go down? Is the goal of judgment primarily about justice? Is justice the outcome? If you hear the discussion, there's a very lot of buzz about this in our culture right now. Is justice actually the outcome that actually changes anything? Does that change the heart of the perpetrator? Does it change the heart of the victim? Does it, never, does it keep things from ever happening again? What is the effect of justice? There are a lot of hard questions, and I recognize that I'm leaving you with questions. 
And I think a big part of what we're supposed to do as we consider these uh, processes, these commands, Jesus never gave us a simple, okay, here's what you do, just wear green socks on Tuesday and everything will be fine. It wasn't like that. Jesus left us with a lot more formative questions than not. And we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we going to answer those questions? I suggest, first of all, you answer them in community. It's very interesting that the judge passage is all y'all. And our approach should be all of us all. How are we going to come to a conclusion? How are we going to decide what's good, better, and best? How, when we are called that we've got to draw a line, how are we going to decide where to draw that line? And I suggest we use Holy Spirit influence, not just look for Bible verses we just throw on the ground and say, well, don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. I hope that causes you to consider and think something. It's sure worked on me hard this week. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you give us things to consider. You gave us commandments. And they're, they're what is best for us, but they're also designed for us to learn, to discern how we're supposed to process this, learn how to be uh, asking questions and approaching others in a way that would be loving, that would be wise, that's helpful, that doesn't just undo the standard, but also doesn't just uh, hold people to a standard that's impossible. Each one of us in this room likely have dealt with this in some way, shape, or form at work, in our family, um, friends, others, other scenarios during this week. And we'll have more in front of us. Give us insight. Help us to pause, to ask us ourselves to uh, consider the metric, the meter, the standard that we want to be held to and then hold others to that standard. Thanks for that clear insight. Uh, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.